Welcome to the Siski Christian Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that the following verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word would bring you closer to Jesus. So I heard a story about a little old man who was making his way through town, and it was a super busy day as he was driving his car down the street. There's traffic everywhere, and, and he noticed in his rearview mirror that there was a woman that was following him super close, very impatient, swerving around, flashing her lights, really wanted to get by. She was in a hurry. And as he made his way downtown, he, he, he came to the stoplight, and it was yellow, and he, he could have really hit the gas and, and made it through, but he chose to do what he was comfortable with and just stop at the crosswalk, let the yellow turn to red, and just wait. Well, this impatient woman who was behind him, she did not like that one bit. She missed her opportunity to get where she was going, and so she just laid on the horn. She was waving her hands and shouting all sorts of obscene gestures, and right there, mid-rant, she hears the stern voice of a police officer. Ma'am, step out of the car and keep your hands where I can see them. And there she was arrested. She was taken down to the police station. She was booked and she was put in a cell. Well, a couple hours go by and there uh, appears at her jail cell an officer. He opens the door and he brings her back into the room where she was booked and there was the arresting officer. And the arresting officer looked at her and said, ma'am, I am so terribly sorry for the mistake. It was a mix-up. I made the mistake. It was my fault. He said, you see, when I pulled up behind you and I saw you waving your arms and ranting and raving and honking your horn and cussing that little old man into next week, he said, I noticed that you had a license plate holder that said, choose life. And I noticed your bumper sticker that said, what would Jesus do? right next to your other bumper sticker that said, follow me to Sunday school, right next to your chrome Jesus fish. And he said, I really am sorry, but I just assumed that the vehicle was stolen. (laughs) (laughs) See, I wonder how often we find ourselves in that situation as Christians. I wonder how often that happens, that, that we say one thing with our bumper stickers, That we say one thing with our social media bios. We say one thing with our conversations. But then we live a completely different way with our lives. And you guys have heard the expression, practice what? Practice what you preach, right? That our actions and our words, that they should line up. Well, Paul here in chapter 9, he's going to practice what he preached. Last week in chapter 8... We talked about really laying down our rights for the benefit of the weaker brother. We talked a little bit about, you know, what sort of things should we engage in as Christians concerning those gray areas. And we looked at a couple of determining factors. Right? What does the word say? What, what does our conscience say? And will it trip up a younger brother? And, and at the end of that chapter, chapter 8, Paul says this, he says, man, if eating food causes my brother to be stumbled, then I will never eat meat again. Paul took this vow, he said, man, if I'm going to trip somebody up with the food that I eat, I'll just be a vegetarian. And those are big words. That's a, that's a big thing to say. But here's what I want us to notice this morning about the Apostle Paul. He was just not a man of words. He was a man of action. 
He said it. He talked the talk in chapter 8. Now in chapter 9, he's walking the walk. Chapter 9 really illustrates how Paul uh, practiced what he preached. And we're going to see that Paul really lays down his rights. He lays down his freedoms in order that he, he might not cause any to stumble. He lays down his rights to further God's kingdom, to further, to further the gospel message. And it really does cost him. So let's pick up our text in verse 1 of chapter 9. Am I not an apostle, Paul says? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ, our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Now, remember, this letter to the Corinthians is a combination of two things. It's a combination of Paul writing a letter of correction to the Corinthian church, about those known sins that the church at Corinth was involved with, sexual immorality, division, uh, spiritual immaturity, these different issues that they were dealing with. Secondly, it is Paul answering questions that the Corinthian church had written him or asked him in in a, a letter that they had previously written. So there appears to be some questioning of Paul's authority as an apostle. So, in other words, the Corinthian church was saying, what actually gives you the right, Paul? Who who, who are you? Are you really an apostle? Do you really have the authority to speak into our lives the way that you are speaking into our lives? And so Paul takes the first few verses of chapter 9 to address that, to defend his apostleship, to defend his authority as an apostle. And so what does it mean First of all, to be an apostle. Because that's the first question that Paul asks them. And he's going to ask a series of rhetorical questions. These questions all have the answer of yes. Am I an apostle? Yes. Have I seen Jesus? Yes. Uh, Are you uh, my work in the Lord? Yes. So Paul, first of all, asks, am I an apostle? Which the answer to that question is yes. He's not wondering what his calling is. But he's asking the the Corinthian church, am I an apostle? Now, an apostle, apostle simply means sent one. And when you think about apostles, right, there's levels of apostleship. There is the sent one, which is Jesus. He was the original sent one. There's, There's no greater than Jesus. Then there were the 12 apostles. They were sent by Jesus. They had a specific mission. They had a Uh, 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 a specific authority that was given to them. They were to go out and kind of break ground and plant the church. It was the very beginning of Christianity. And then a little bit later, you had Paul, Paul the Apostle. Now, there are these levels of apostleship, and there is really the office of apostle. There's authority that flows with it. And again, uh, Jesus, the 12, there was uh, a specific power and authority and purpose that they were sent with. Now, we today are considered apostles also in the broader sense of the term, though. We are apostles in the sense that we have been sent out via the Great Commission to share the good news of the gospel. We are sent out, but we are not sent out like the Apostle Paul. We are not sent out like the 12. 
We are not walking in the same uh, authority. We haven't been given the same task. We aren't, you know, founding Christianity. The church has been planted. We have been sent out to come behind and, and really, uh, you know, follow in the footsteps to continue steadfastly in the work of the apostles. Now, why do I belabor this point this morning? Like, why, why Pastor Jeremy, we get it. Apostles, there's different. There's Jesus, there's the 12, there's us in a broader sense. The reason I say that is that there are those who would lay the claim to apostleship in our day and age. And it's a movement that's kind of gaining traction where people say, well, you know what? I am an apostle like Paul was an apostle, and therefore I walk in the same uh, authority that the apostle Paul walked in. And that is not a biblical stance, just so you guys know. And this uh, new apostolic sort of movement, the, the new apostolic uh, sort of uh, reformation, as it's called, it, it's, it's a dangerous thing uh, because there's some weird beliefs in that. And that's, so that's why I bring that up. This word apostle has a broad meaning. It's a very specific office of those who are sent out specifically, and then uh, more broadly, it is referring to any who were sent out. Now, Paul is referring to the former, the one walking in authority who was sent out directly. See, that is one of the marks of an apostle, uh, is that they were sent directly, those walking in the power and authority of the office of apostleship. They were sent out directly by Jesus. So, we know that the twelve... They were called by Jesus. They met Jesus face to face. But what about the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul came way later than Jesus. Jesus had already ascended to heaven before the Apostle Paul ever came on the scene. So how is it that Paul is considered an apostle just like the 12 were? Well, you guys remember his story. The Apostle Paul has a righteous testimony, how he got saved. Remember, he was on his way to Damascus to actually arrest Christians, to, to drag them out of their houses and beat them and throw them into prison. And there he met Jesus face to face. The Lord shone down from heaven and spoke to Paul and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And that moment was, it was, it was a game changer for Paul. He was never the same for the rest of his life. He had this amazing conversion experience. That was his testimony. So Paul did see Jesus face to face. And so that's his argument to the Corinthian church. Who is this guy to tell us what to do? Well, am I not an apostle? Was I not sent out by Jesus himself? Am I, am I not walking in the authority that he gave me? And the answer to all those questions is yes. And then the last bit of evidence that Paul gives for his in his defense of his apostleship, is the Corinthian church itself. He says, you guys, look around. The fact that there's a thriving church in Corinth speaks to the reality that God has done a work through me. And so Paul, in the first few verses, really answers the question regarding the authority that has been given to him as an apostle. And the next several verses really deal with the rights that he has as an apostle. Verse 3, he begins now to kind of uh, make a case for the rights that he has as an apostle. He says, My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord, and Cephas? Or... Is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? 
Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock. So Paul now, he's getting into the right that he has as an apostle. And he says, do we not have the right to eat and drink? Another rhetorical question, the answer is yes. Paul, you have the right to eat and drink whatever. Do you not have the right to marry? Yes, we, we've covered all of these things in previous chapters. Paul dealt with them. But he's coming at these issues of eating and drinking and marrying from a completely different perspective here in chapter 9. Now the, uh, the right that Paul is arguing that he has is the right to make a living by preaching the gospel. That is what Paul is going to lay out for us over the next uh, 11 or so verses, that yes, he's an apostle, and as an apostle, he has the right to earn a living. When he says, do we not have the right to eat and drink, that is, do we not have a right to eat and drink at the church's expense? Paul says, do Barnabas and I not have the right to take on a wife, that is, at the church's expense, to be supported by the church? So Paul is uh, really defending his right to earn a living, and, and it was his right, to earn a living by preaching God's word, uh, and he's going to lay out his case. But, spoiler, right, just, just so we know, uh, Paul lays out this case just so he can say, and, by the way, I've never taken a paycheck. This is my right, but I spell out that this is my right so I can show you what it is I've laid aside for the sake of others. Just have that in the back of your mind. So the first... Uh, Defense he gives begins in verse 7. He says, Whoever goes to war at his own expense, and who plants a vineyard and does not eat of his fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink the milk of the flock. Paul's first argument is just a matter of general principle. And that is if you go and work, no matter what your occupation is, you make a living by the thing that you do. If you are a soldier... You make a living being a soldier. You don't enlist in the army and then go out and buy your own rifle and ammo and F-16. Hey, what's going on? I thought you wanted to be a pilot. Yeah, I'm still saving up for that F-16. You know, that's not the way it works in the military. They provide you the things that you need and you get paid. And even in the ancient world, it was understood that when you went to war, you would have a share in the riches at the end of that battle. Same thing with the farmer. Does the farmer get his sustenance from the land that he farms? He does. Does the rancher eat of the, the flock that he uh, raises? Yes. And so Paul uses as his first argument just the general principle that if you work at something, you should get paid as you uh, do that work. His second argument, Paul takes from the New Testament beginning in verse 8. He says, do I say these things as a mere man? Or does not the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Uh, is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written that he who puts his hand to the plow should plow in hope. And he who threshes in hope should be partaker of this hope. So Paul says, don't just take my word for it. 
don't take just the general principle of working and uh, receiving uh, labor for your work. He says, what does the Old Testament say? And he, he takes us to Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 4, where Moses, as he's laying out the law, says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out his crane. Now, that's a wonderful principle uh, and a, a wonderful way to take care of your animals. What is Paul talking about? Back in the day, they didn't have all the machines that we have to process grain and everything. And so they would take and they would lay out the, the stalks of grain and they would let the ox walk on them to break the grain off of the stalks. And, and they could go in later and they could thresh that and separate the kernel from the chaff and from the stalk. But the Old Testament says, hey, while that animal is walking around, stomping the seed off of the stalk, don't have a muzzle on him. How cruel would that be? As he gets hungry, he's, you know, that'd be like if you were you know, working, I don't know how, that's why actually a lot of restaurants offer free food. If you've ever worked in the restaurant industry or a killer discount, uh, because they know that you're going to be hungry. There's actually, uh, I was kind of looking into this concept, and there's this ancient Chinese practice is still going on today, where these little Chinese guys, they go out into the river to go fishing, but they don't bring nets, and they don't bring fishing poles. They bring these birds, uh, cormorants is what they're called. And they're, they have these big old long necks, and they're great fishing birds, and they tie this grass knot around the bird's neck. So when it dives down, it catches, the, it can't swallow the fish all the way. So the fishermen keep the big one, and then, of course, they give the, the bird rewards. But all that is to say, Paul is saying, listen, it would be cruel to make an animal work right there in his food and not be able to, to feed him. But was the ox God's primary concern in that verse? And that's the cool thing about this is Paul takes this te text and says, man, this Old Testament text, it really wasn't even about the ox. It's about a man's right really to earn a living. And it's interesting if you turn and you study out that, that scripture, you just look at it in context. All the verses around Deuteronomy 20, none of it deals with animal husbandry whatsoever. That whole entire section is all about laws set forth in a human-to-human -human interaction. So it's interesting to me. So Paul is saying, listen, this has really nothing to do with the ox. It was given for our sakes that we would know that it's okay to earn a living. And Paul applies this to Timothy's life. A young pastor in 1 Timothy Chapter 5, verse 18, he says, For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Thirdly, Paul here uh, uses the, the general principle of reciprocity. He applies this principle to ministry. There, uh, in verse 11, he says, If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? Paul, Paul just applies the same ideal of reciprocity. Hey, man, we pour into you spiritually, you provide for us materially. Uh, and then in verse 12, he, as his fourth argument, uses the point that other Christian leaders have taken advantage of the same principle. Uh, he says, if others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? So remember, they were a divided church. There were many leaders, Apollos, Peter. They had shepherded the flock, per se. They had been pastors there, and they were paid. 
And so Paul says, hey, how come they're the only guys that get paid? Do we not have the same right they do, even more so because we planted the church, Paul would say? In verses 12 through 15, he brings up his fifth point, and he looks to the priests of the Old Testament. In verse 12, he says, Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things. Now, we'll come back to that. Lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who uh, preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things, that it should be done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than for anyone uh, should make my boasting void. So, so Paul says, man, look at the priests of the Old Testament. The priests of the Old Testament made their living doing what they do. They, when they would sacrifice an animal, a portion of every sacrifice went to them to sustain them and their family. When the tithes and the offerings came into the temple, those monies were used to uh, buy implements and take care of the temple and pay the wages of the priests and buy the things that they needed. Very similar system that we have today. As we tithe, we put our money into the storehouse and it goes to things like rent and electricity and right now lots of sheetrock and sheetrock mud and molding and doors and windows and my salary and Sky's salary and Dave's salary and Christy's salary and Jonathan's salary and, and it's just the way that it goes. It's a, it's a good uh, system that is a biblical system. And so Paul, for his fifth argument, says, hey, listen, as an apostle, I deserve to get paid. Here's my fifth reason. Look at the, the priests in the Old Testament. And then lastly, in verse 14, and most importantly, he says, well, what does the Lord have to say about this this thing of getting paid uh, to, to preach the gospel. And he says, even to the Lord uh, has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Now, what is Paul talking about? He's saying, well, what did Jesus have to say about it? And what did Jesus have to say about it? When you look at the story there in Luke chapter 10, remember Jesus sent out the, the 70 he sent him out two by two to go and preach the gospel. You guys remember what he told those guys as they went? He said, hey, don't bring a wallet. Don't bring any supplies. Don't bring any extra clothes. And don't bring any money. He said, go, and as you minister to people, the people that you minister to will care for your needs. Luke 10, 7, and remain, he says, in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Don't go from house to house. Don't go, don't go looking for a better deal. But, but a, a laborer is worthy of his wages. When you go and minister to people, man, let them take care of you. That was the way that Jesus lined it out. And so clearly here, Paul's made a great point. He's got six pretty bulletproof points how he, as an apostle, really has the right to collect a paycheck to, to earn a living at what he is doing in presenting the gospel. But here's what I said earlier, spoiler alert, Paul doesn't. In verse 12 and verse 15, Paul says, no, I have not done that. Verse 12 says, nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endured all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. In verse 15, he says, but I have used none of these things, 
nor have I written these things that it should be done to me. For it would be better for me to be dead than anyone should make my boasting void. So Paul says, man, it is my right, but he spells out his right so he can show that it's a right that he laid aside. He says, I've laid this aside. Now, what did Paul do for a living? He was a tent maker. Or even better translation would be a leather worker. Tent maker. I can't get it out of my head. I picture Paul making like this north face, like bright orange thing. But he was a leather worker. And he supported himself uh, in the ministry. And I think that that's a good word. I think that anybody who wants to go, and you're a young man, you want to go into the ministry. For anybody who wants to go in the ministry, I would say it's good to have a tent making skill. It's good to, to say, all right, if, if, if things get crazy and, you know, the church can't support me, then you're not going into panic mode. You just go out into the world and you can swing a hammer or you can put some pipes together or you can roof a house or whatever it is. It's good to have a tent making skill. And in fact, Jewish tradition said if you don't teach your son a skill, then you have set him up to be a thief. And it was a very different sort of perspective. The Corinthians, they looked at manual labor as, oh man, that's gross. We don't do manual labor. No, we eat caviar and bonbons and we have servants that mow the lawn and wash the dishes. But Paul is saying, no man, I work. He says, this is my right. Don't forget that this is my right. But I've laid it aside. Why did he lay it aside? Well, he tells us in verse 12 that he lays it aside really uh, because he didn't want to hinder the gospel. He, he doesn't want to hinder the gospel. He knew that because Corinth had a culture that was all about materialism, all about wealth, all about prosperity, all about influence, that if he collected a paycheck from them, that it would be something that would trip them up, that they would think that Paul is only doing what he was doing in order to get paid, and it would cause them to stumble. So he says, I, I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to, to stumble anybody. And then in verses 15, he gives the second reason, verses 15 through 18. He says, but I have not used any of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done to me. He also says, by the way, as I'm laying this out and telling you that I haven't collected a paycheck, I'm not saying, well, by the way, I haven't collected a paycheck. Wink, wink. Maybe you should send me some cash. Paul says, that's not the point of my letter. He's saying, uh, he says, but, whoops, wrong section. He says, uh, I've not done this. I've not written this, uh, so you would do so to me. He says, it would be better for me to die, then anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But I have, against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel... I may present the gospel of Christ without charge that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. So Paul's first reason, he says, I don't want to trip anybody up who thinks I'm doing it just so that I can get paid. And Paul says, furthermore, my motivation in preaching the gospel is because I can't help but preach the gospel. I would rather be dead than 
have somebody think that I'm doing it for the wrong motive. And he says, this is my motive. Man, I am bound to it. It's because I love the Lord. This is my boasting, he says. Now, what does that mean? He's not boasting that it's his message. He's not boasting in his ability to be funny and present the gospel in a way that's effective. When he says, I boast in the gospel, he's saying, man, this is what I love. This is my greatest joy. Preaching the gospel was something that burned in the Apostle Paul's bones. It was the call that the Lord had put upon his life. He couldn't help but do it, paycheck or no paycheck. He was like Jeremiah. Remember Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9? He's like, man, I'm not going to I'm not going to even say the name of the Lord anymore. He's all grumpy and discouraged. I'm just done with this preaching thing. But then he says, I can't even help it. I, I can't help it. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary of holding it back and I could not. For Jeremiah, it was a necessity. It was the same thing with Paul. He needed to preach. It was uh, uh, something that God had called him to do. Again, it had nothing to do with earning a paycheck. And I want you to know, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, that I can relate to Paul. Not in that I am like Paul. Uh, you know, I've not been called like Paul. I'm not uh, a teacher like Paul. I don't walk in the authority that Paul had. But I relate to Paul in that I do what I do not to earn a paycheck. If I wanted to earn a bunch of money, I would go out into the world and do something else. I do what I do because the Lord has called me to do it. And it's something that I did long before I ever got a paycheck. Ever since I was born again, it was just something. It was a passion that God put on my heart to work with teens and to work with kids and to take my ability to play music and to lead worship. And when me and Stefan planted this church, there was no possibility for either one of us to get paid. There was like, you know, seven people. That, that was it. He was still getting paid from the church that sent us out. But then I remember when we crossed that bridge. You know, I had been serving in ministry alongside of him. And he's like, all right, dude, we're going to bring you on full time. And you know what I told him? Absolutely not. For months and months and months, for a year, more than a year. I said, no way. I do not want to do this vocationally. First of all, because I just felt like every pastor was Ned Flanders and I didn't want to be that guy. But secondly, because I didn't want my joy to be robbed. I didn't want to feel like I was doing it to get paid. And I'm not. I, I, I'm not. I served the Lord with all my heart before I got paid. And should this dry up, I'll serve the Lord with all my heart without getting paid again. And I love that. There's so much. There's freedom that you guys know that. There's freedom that, that I know that. There's just freedom. We're not locked into this thing because we got to support the pastor. Uh, we're doing this because it's what the Lord has called us to do. And by the way, as I thought through this, interesting uh, fact about every single person who's on staff here, they worked at their position here at the church for free for a long time before they got put on staff. So it's just an interesting thing that every single person said, it's just what the Lord has called me to and it's what I want to do. And so, so Paul here, he lays out his right. This is my right to get paid uh, in the ministry. This is, is why I don't get paid. I don't want to be a stumbling block. Man, I, I, I do it for the sake of the gospel. And again, what is Paul's point here? This section is not necessarily about 
why Paul should get a paycheck. It really is not what it's about at all. Because Paul spends the rest of this time saying, this is why I refuse to take a paycheck. This whole section really is about how Paul laid down his rights for the Lord's sake. How he laid down his rights for his brother's sake. How he laid down his rights for others to not be a stumbling block. This whole section really is about how Paul practiced what he preached. Man, he said, I will not eat another steak for the rest of my life if it means causing somebody to stumble. And here, man, he puts it all out on the line. He says, man, if, if me collecting a paycheck causes somebody to stumble, then I'm done. I'll just work for a living. Paul is practicing what he preaches. And again, that's so important for us to, to look at that model and walk after that model. It's so important for us to practice what we preach. Paul is an example in that. And I think that we need more of that in the church today. It is so easy to talk a good game. It is so easy to say all the right Christian words and bless you and praise the Lord and pray for this and pray for that and, hold, and then go out and, and live our lives however we want. But Ecclesiastes 5.7, it says, talk is cheap. Like daydreams and other useless activities, fear God instead. 1 John 3.18 says, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Do not fall into the trap of thinking you have lived a Christian life because you have talked about living a Christian life. It is a trap that so many of us fall into. And that is what I want us to think about this morning. Really, are we living it out? We say, oh man, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm glad I got the bumper sticker. I got the, the bio on my you know, uh, Instagram that's got the scripture in it. But am I, am I just talking a big game? Or am I actually walking it out? Because here's the thing, talk is cheap. It cost Paul something to walk this out. And he says, listen, I don't preach to get paid. Uh, I, I preach for the gospel's sake. He laid that out for us in verses 15 through 18. And now he's gonna say, I, I preach for the sake of the lost, verse 19. For though I am uh, free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jew, I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law, to those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law towards Christ, that I might win those who are without law to the weak. I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might, uh, all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. So Paul really makes his motive clear. I've laid down my rights. It's not what it's about. So I, I preach the gospel for the gospel's sake because it burns in my bones. I preach the gospel for the, the sake of the lost. He says, man, to the Jew, and we know this about Paul, to the Jew, he became a Jew. He was a Jew. He was a Jew of Jews, but he was converted to Christianity. But when he went to a new town, where did Paul go? He always went to the synagogue. And when he was at the synagogue, he conformed to their traditions. He came under the scrutiny of Jewish tradition in order to preach the gospel to the Jews. 
But then when he was with the Gentiles, he didn't bring that same legalism that he came under in the, the, the Jewish company. He said, well, we're, we're not bound to the things we eat or drink. or this. He became like those not under the law. Paul went to, to the weak, to the outcast, to anybody who was willing to hear to preach the gospel. He became all things to all men that he might win some. And that's so good. What, what a good model it is for us that that would be our priority. Now, here's what I want you to understand is when Paul went into the synagogue to preach to the Jew, he didn't take grace out of the equation just to give them a more palatable message. When Paul went and preached to the Gentile, right, he wasn't lawless just to make a more palatable message. And I say that because I've had people come to me and say, Pastor Jeremy, I'm just becoming all things to all men that I might save some. And I really wanted to reach the stoners. I'm reaching the stoners, bro. Pass the bong. You know, let's do this. No. Let's, I, I really want to reach those who struggle with lust. So I'm having Bible study at the strip club. That is not what the Lord has called us to. And you laugh. But there are people who use that logic wrongly. And they get themselves into trouble. Paul never compromised his message. Uh, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul stood firm in uh, the truths of the Lord, but he was all things to all men that he might uh, win some. And that's the, the balancing act that we have as Christians. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. Or we don't want to get sucked into the things of the world, but we also don't on the other side want to be separatists who say, well, we're never going to associate with those dirty heathen in the world. We're called to reach those dirty heathen of the world. And so lastly, Paul here now talks about the discipline that it takes in verses 24 through uh, the end of the chapter. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, Thus I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul says, I'm going to use this, this sports analogy. I'm like, yes, Paul, sports analogies. I can get behind that. I like sports. In Corinth, in, in just the, the ancient Greek world in general, they had the Olympic Games. And in Corinth proper, they had the Isthmus Games these Olympic games. And it was a big deal to compete in the games. And if you wanted to, only the best of the best, first of all, could compete. And you would show up an entire year in advance to train for that entire year in Corinth uh, to be able to participate. But it took great discipline. It took great commitment and uh, determination. And in those days, they would compete for a crown. Uh, Stephanos, which was uh, just a, a, a crown made out of like olive branches or shrubbery, really. And so Paul's point is this. Man, you Corinthians see all the people come in and train all year and work so hard and be so committed and devoted to win the Stephanos, uh, a crown of shrubbery that just passes away. But he says, don't forget that we are striving for a crown that is imperishable, that we as Christians are striving for rewards that are in heaven. Now, I am not saying that we are striving for salvation. We are not striving to earn God's favor or love. 
We are not competing for heaven. Uh, Paul is saying, we, what are you striving for? What prize are you looking for? There will be real rewards in heaven. And you might not care now, but the Bible says you will care then. And Paul's real point in all of this whole sports analogy is what are you living your life for? What are you striving for? What are you running towards? And that's really what I want us to think about this morning. Not only, right, first, first takeaway is, man, let us, let us not just talk the talk, but let us walk the walk. Let us practice what we preach. We don't want to be disqualified because our mouth says one thing and our actions say the other. Let our lives line up with our actions. Let our actions line up with our words, rather. Uh, and secondly, really, what is it that we're living for? Oh, let me ask you this this morning. What is your purpose in life? What, what, what drives you? What are you striving for? Because here's the thing. We're all striving for something, whether you believe or not. You say, no, I'm just sitting on the sidelines. No, you're striving for something. You have a goal. You are, you're, you're chasing after something. There's no question there. The question is, is it temporal? Is it just a, a crown of leaves? Is it shrubbery that you're chasing? Or is it eternal? And this is the last scripture I want to look at. It's Matthew 16, 25. And this is what Jesus says. He says, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus says, if you spend your life pursuing the things of this world, you will end up losing your life. You'll find no satisfaction. You'll find no joy. In the end, everything this world has to offer turns to ash. It evaporates into thin air. It doesn't bring satisfaction. It doesn't bring joy. But so often, that's where our focus is on the here and now and the goals that we have set. And Paul's saying, hey, and get your eyes off the temporal and remember the eternal. Get your focus on heaven and on Jesus and what you have really been called to do. That really is the key. And that's my question to all of us this morning. What drives you? What is your purpose? What are your eyes fixed on? Are your eyes fixed on the temporal things of life? Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you've just lost your way. It's easy to get in that place to where, man, all of a sudden it's like, wow, yeah, my focus really has shifted away from the things of the Lord towards the things of this world. Good news. The Lord's available. It's a turning point. All you have to say, all right, that's right. I'm going to change my focus. I'm going to change my direction. I'm going to focus on the things that are more important today. Even more importantly, I would say, maybe you're somebody today who has only pursued the things of this world. Maybe you've never been a Christian at all. Maybe the Lord has been pursuing you for a long time. Maybe he's been tapping you on the shoulder and whispering to your heart, man, I have a purpose and I have a plan for your life. Trust me. Have your sins forgiven. Walk in that. 
Either way, man, today we have a great opportunity to say, all right, my focus has been off. My focus has been horizontal. My focus has been temporal. But now, Lord, today, I'm making that commitment again. Even as Paul made that commitment to train, right? He said, I I don't run the the 100-meter hurdles hopscotching down the way. No, he said, I don't don't enter the boxing ring, you know, shadow boxing. So I'm living my life with purpose. So we have that opportunity to say, all right, Lord, I'm going to live my life with purpose. So Lord, thank you again for your word. Thank you just for the truth that it proclaims and for the encouragement that it brings. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people who, who do have our priorities straight. Lord, that we wouldn't get sucked into the things of the world, that we wouldn't get distracted. Lord, but that we would be living our lives with purpose, with our eyes fixed on you. Lord, I pray for those who are wrestling even now with that decision. What is the next season in their life going to look like? Lord, I pray that we all would, from this moment forward, say there's going to be a, a shift in my life. Lord, where my focus is more upon you and your will for my life and less upon me and my wants and my desires. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to the falsehood, Lord, to the lie that these things will satisfy us in this world. And help us to trust you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that those wrestling with that, that you would just shore them up. Lord, truly, you're the only one who can call. You're the only one who can draw people towards you, and I pray that you would do that work even now. Lord, as we come to the table, we remember what you've done. We thank you, Lord, for your body that was given for us. We thank you for your blood that was shed for us. What a special thing you've instituted, Lord, that we get to come and take these tangible elements and remember what it is you've done. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this teaching of God's Word presented by Siskiyou Christian Fellowship. We pray it's blessed you and given you a greater understanding of the Bible. To learn more about us, visit siskiyouchristianfellowship.com. Thank you.